Nonetheless, God does expect us as God's people to live in certain ways. He expects us to, to live in a way that honors him and according to his instruction. Now, a fellow named Craig Barnes does a really good job of illustrating this for us. Here's what he said. He said, my minister daddy brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger. Roger's mom and dad died from a drug overdose. And there was nobody to care for Roger. And so my folks decided that they were going to take Roger in and raise him as one of their own children. At first, it was very, very difficult for Roger to adjust to a home that was free from heroin-addicted adults. In fact, every day, several times a day, I would hear my parents say to Roger, no, no, that's not how we behave in this family. They would say, no, no, you don't have to scream, you don't have to fight to get what you want. They would say, no, no, Roger, we show respect for one another in this family. And the good news is this. In time, in time, Roger began to change. Now, my question for you this morning is this. Did Roger have to make all those changes before he became a part of that family? No, he did not. He was made part of the family by the grace of Craig Barnes's daddy. But, did he have to make changes once he became part of the family? You better believe he did. And it was tough. There wasn't anything easy about making all these changes that Roger had to make. It was hard work. But he was motivated. He was motivated by gratitude and by thankfulness for what Jesus had done for him on the cross at Calvary. Are there changes that you need to make now that you're part of God's family. We all know that we are all unfinished products. We know that we are under construction. We know that we won't be perfect until we get to heaven. And so we realize fully that God's still got some things he wants to change in us. We all have things that we need to change. But here's what I want to point out this morning. We have these changes to make not to become a son or daughter of God. We make these changes because we are a son or daughter of God. And every time that we try to revert back to those old behaviors, every time that we try to revert back to those sinful addictions of our past, 
those sin addictions, the Holy Spirit says this to you. No, no. That's not how we act in this family. Today, I believe the Bible shows us clearly how we are to behave as part of God's family. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as Paul concludes this chapter and this letter, he kind of tells us, he summarizes for us what participants in the family of God should look like. First of all, Paul says that we need to love our leaders. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 12. He writes, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, Paul is instructing the Thessalonians, and I believe that through the Spirit of God, he's instructing us how to treat church leaders. First of all, i got to point this out. That phrase, over you in the Lord, probably isn't the best translation. Because what's really being said here is, is to respect those who labor among you. To those who stand before you in the Lord, respect them. There's never any suggestion that one person in the church is over another person in the church. Before the cross, we are all on equal footing. Can I get an amen? Every one of us are the same. But in this, what Paul is saying is, respect your leaders, follow your leaders, get this, as they follow Christ. As they're busy following Jesus, you can follow them. Now, in this, we see three things that Paul mentioned that church members ought to do regarding their leaders. Number one, he said there in verse 12, that they are to recognize them. That word really is be aware of them and don't take them for granted. That's easy to do amongst our, for our leaders. Then second, in verse 13, the Bible says, esteem them very highly in love. In other words, value them. Show them often how much you love them. And then third, the apostle says, be at peace amongst yourselves. In other words, God's people should absolutely refuse to cause division in the church. But here, Paul also gives us three reasons why we should love our leaders. Number one, the leaders are sent by the Lord. They are sent to labor and to stand before you in the Lord. You see, God has appointed his men, God has appointed his women to stand before us and to lead the church family. The second reason that we're to love our leaders is because they admonish you. In other words, our leaders instruct us they inspire us, they uh, work with us, and they remind us of the truth. So they admonish us and remind us of the truth. The third reason that we're to love our leaders is because they labor among you. Friends, you know at Bethel who those folks are. You know who those ones are that work so hard behind the scenes. 
You know those ones who work so hard to teach and to labor amongst us. They spend hours serving in sometimes difficult positions, sometimes unrewarding work. But we have many leaders in our church, and part of behaving in God's family is learning to love our leaders. Another part of behaving in God's family is being concerned for one another. It's what we call ministry. In verse 14, check it out. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. How do you stack up on that list? That's a pretty demanding list. But I want you to notice something, that this list is not just for leaders only. This is for every believer. Every believer is to live like we see in these verses today. And Paul points out three kinds of people. He points out unruly people. He points out faint-hearted people. And he also points out weak people. He begins by saying, warn the unruly. Now that word unruly was a word that was used for people who didn't show up for work. Amen? They were unruly people. You see, many believers in Thessalonica, and some today, had quit working on the job and quit working in church. Why? Because they were expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. And so they just quit. They were living off of other people, and they were unwilling to work and support themselves. What Paul is saying here is, point out that this kind of behavior is unacceptable. Because everybody has a position, everybody has a work to do in the Lord's church. Now, I want to tell you this, that in our day and time, our salvation draws near. Are you hearing me, church? As we analyze the prophecies from the Old Testament and we bring them in conjunction with the prophecies of the New Testament, all the signs are there. The birth pangs are here. We are seeing what I believe is the last days. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. The question is, are you ready? I want to encourage you to be ready because our salvation draws near. Don't quit working. You keep doing what Jesus has called you to do. But second, Paul says, comfort the faint-hearted. Literally speaking, faint-hearted means small-souled. And it, and it points out uh, that person who maybe feels inadequate. Maybe that person feels ungifted. And Paul says, comfort that person. He says, help that person find their place in the church. You see, nobody is useless in the Lord's church. Can I get a testimony? Nobody is useless in the Lord's church, and I never want you to forget that. Everybody has a job to do in the body of Christ. Everybody is important because everybody is important in the eyes of God. Now, finally, Paul says, help the weak ones. Help those who are struggling with their faith. 
Perhaps these are ones that have doubts about their salvation. That can happen. Maybe these folks have a, a shame about their past. Help them. Maybe these, for some reason or another, they just don't sense the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, help them. He says, whatever it may be, God's word says, help them. Be patient with them all. Don't repay evil for evil and pursue what is good both for one another and to all people. So we must love our leaders, but we must also be concerned for each other. But thirdly, Paul says, be joyful always. In verse 16, he says that. Rejoice always. He said it to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. As Christians, we have to be living joyful lives. You know, I've heard people all my life say, all I want to do is be happy. That's all I want. Is it too much to ask just so for me to be happy? Well, listen, if you're looking for happiness in material things, if you're looking for happiness in relationships on this earth, then eventually you're going to come up dry. Why? Because things only last for a short period of time. Things fade away. Things are only temporal. And there must be something greater. There must be something stronger. There must be something deeper that gives you your joy. Max Licato asks it this way. He says, are you so focused on what you don't have that you're blind to what you do have? That's, a, that's an ongoing scenario with us, isn't it? Sometimes we're blind to what we do have because we're so doggone focused on what we don't have. Paul says this. You have a ticket to heaven that no thief can take. You have an eternal home that no divorce can break. You got every sin of your life cast in the sea, every mistake you've ever made been nailed to the tree. Your blood bought, heaven made, praise God, you're forever saved. So be joyful for isn't it true, listen carefully, for what you don't have is much less than what you do. What are you focused on? What is Locato saying here? He's saying joy is based on what I've got coming in heaven, not what I see in this life on earth. Are you able to focus on what you got coming in heaven? That will give you joy. But true members of God's family also pray, pray, pray. They pray all the time. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. In Philippians 4, 6, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. One preacher said that when his daughter was about three years old, he was putting her to bed and they went to uh, say their evening prayers and he said, darling, what do you want to pray about? And she said, onions. So they prayed for onions and he put her to bed and the next morning his curiosity got the best of him and he said, darling, 
why did we pray for onions? And she said, well, your sermon said that we needed to pray for things we don't like. <laughs> onions. Only a loving father would want us to pray for everything. Only a loving father would want, to pray for, want you to pray for those things that absolutely elate you and those things that absolutely depress you. Only a loving father would want to hear from you even when you're whining and complaining. Amen? Your father just wants to hear from you. Pray without ceasing. Another preacher asked a boy, Son, do you pray every day? And the boy said, No, because some days I don't want nothing. <laughs> now we laugh about that. But how many people wait to pray until they want something? If they don't want anything, well, no need to pray. Listen here, friends. If prayer is not important to you in times of plenty and in times of want, here it comes. You don't have a relationship with God. Y'all hear now? Without communication with God, you don't have a relationship with Him. Could you expect to live with a spouse that you didn't communicate with? No, there would be no relationship there, would there? So let me encourage you to pray more than you've ever prayed because your salvation is drawing near. But also, Paul instructs us to give thanks in everything. There in verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks. Get this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One Sunday school teacher asked her class what they were thankful for. And this boy raised his hand and he said, I'm thankful for my glasses. And she said, why are you thankful for your glasses when most boys hate glasses? And he says, well, my glasses keep the boys from fighting me and they keep the girls from kissing me. <laughs> That's good news. God wants us to see the positive in our life. The good things that he's doing. Even through the difficult struggles, he wants us to see what good he's doing and give thanks to him. You know, if you look long enough, if you think long enough, and you think hard enough, you can always find something to be thankful for. Even if the circumstances are dark. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, the encouragement from verse 18 is give thanks to God anyway. After all, it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But also, be sure to let God's fire burn within you. There in verse 19, he wrote, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the prophecies. In Romans 12, 11, Paul wrote, Never be lacking in diligence. Never be lacking in commitment. But keep your spiritual passion. Keep it up. Always serving the Lord. See, we got to find a way to stay fired up for God and not quench the Holy Spirit within us. 
I read about this one husband and wife coming home from church, and the wife said, man, the preacher sure had the worst sermon I've ever heard. I think he needed a little bit more fire in his sermon. And the husband said, I think he needed to throw more of his sermon in the fire. I think both preachers and church members can quench the Spirit's fire. Preachers can put out the Spirit's fire by not doing the Lord's work or doing it poorly. Perhaps not putting enough fire into their sermon. But I've also learned that church members can put out the Spirit's fire by not listening to the Word of God or not applying the Word of God at home, at church, or on the job. We must all find a way to stay fired up. All of us must find a way to stay fired up for the Lord and for His church. Now, prophesying. He said, don't despise the prophecies. Prophesying in the church age that we live in today basically is what we call expository preaching and teaching. It's what I'm doing right now. What I'm doing right now is I am revealing to you the mind of God through the Word of God. The mind of God through the Word of God. It's what I'm doing when I'm preaching here. So we need not take this lightly. This is what God wants us to do. And we need to apply it to our life. And if you will, if you'll find a way to apply it to your life, you will find that you will save yourself countless headaches and countless heartaches by simply obeying the Word of God. Now, Paul does say this. In number seven, he says, test everything. Test everything. He says, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You see, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul praised one group of believers that said they received the word with all readiness of heart and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. In our day, all kinds of people are trying to tell us what God wants us to do. And I'll just have to tell you, I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of counterfeits out there. There are a lot of counterfeits on the cable networks. And so what Paul is telling you, and what Paul is telling me, he says, test what is said. Compare it to the word of God that you study. Test it. You see, brothers and sisters, we have got this divine GPS system called the word of God. And every time that we read the Word of God or hear the Word of God faithfully preached, it should lead us to slightly alter our course, to slightly change direction. Every time that you read it or hear it faithfully preached, it should cause change in your life. And it should be a change that draws you closer to God. It should be a change that can allow you to be used more by Him. Finally, Paul encourages us to be sanctified completely. Look in verse 23. He writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. God is able to minister to your entire being. He's able to minister to you A to Z, Alpha to Omega, beginning and end, and everything in between. He's able to minister you uh, spirit, soul, and body. Now, if you will choose to obey him, he will give you the power to perform. But if you choose not to obey him, you will not receive the power to perform. You cannot receive the power to do his will until you make the choice to obey his word. We have to learn to yield. Yield our will to the will of the spirit within us. And listen, y'all, God will not force you to change. God will not force you to change. He will not force you to be closer to him. God will not force you to love him. He wants you to want to. God wants you to want to change. God wants you to want to be closer to him. God wants you to want to love him. The things you ought to want to do. And if you truly do want to change, if you truly do want to be closer to him, if you truly do want to love him more, friend, you must learn to submit before his ability to help you. Life-changing short takes. Life-changing short takes. Love our leaders. Be concerned with each other. Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks for everything. Let God's fire burn within you. Test everything and be sanctified completely. That's a lot of stuff, Brother Bill. How, just how long do you expect me to do all that? Well, verse 23 says, until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be faithful to the end. Friend, do you lack hope for the future? Do you think, I ain't got the ability to change like that? You don't. But the Holy Spirit has the power to change you. Let me help you by giving you one last little short take that can give you the hope and the resources that you need to make lasting changes in your life. Here it comes. Y'all ready? Say ready. ready. Trust Christ only. Trust Christ alone. 
you trust him 100%, he'll help you 100%. For indeed, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Short takes on Christianity, but they sure sound tough, don't they? The promise of God is this. You do not have to do it on your own. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I have empowered you through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you to live in a way that we've described this morning. I pray that you'll take these little short takes and apply them to your life. But friend, if you don't know Jesus, you lack the power to do it by yourself. Today, you can put a period at the end of that sentence. Come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise is he'll empower you to make the changes to be part of God's family. Father, I thank you that in order to become part of your family, you tell us simply just to come by faith, believing in your son and And Lord, after we come by faith, the promise of God is, is that you will help us to make the changes necessary to be an effective son or daughter of God. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't have the relationship with you through Christ, therefore they lack the power to make the changes they want to make. Father, I pray that they would come today. Lord, I pray you would have your will over their life even now. Lord, I pray that in the still soft whisper that you give them, Father, they would want to come and be guaranteed of an eternal life with you that is received through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. In Christ alone. Let's stand.